Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to week three of Revolution Recap. The Revolution are on a bye this week, but there was still plenty of New England Revolution news to dissect this week, um, as well as other interesting local New England soccer news. Uh, let's start with some of the moves that the Revolution have been linked to this past week. The Perhaps the most interesting one is a possible loan for U.S. under-20 international Luca De La Torre, who's currently on the books at Fulham FC in England, um, still just 19 years old and an attacking midfielder. It's interesting to see how he would fit into a revolution midfield that's very crowded right now, um, with, of course, as we talked about last week, the potential for both Lee Wynn and Christian Namath to be on the move. Um, but De La Torre lines up as an attacking midfield type player, a uh, young guy with a lot of potential, but it's an interesting idea that the Revs would perhaps just loan him for a season without an option to buy, which we haven't seen much from them in the past. Uh, Brian, what are your thoughts on this move? And it seems like a, a bit of a, a different strategy from what we've seen in the Revs when they've you know, got on and got these guys on loans. There's always been an option to buy, but it sounds like that might not be the case here. Yeah, it is an interesting move. I mean, well, I'm thinking of the way it kind of impacts where they are right now as far as, you know, what the roster looks like. And I think more, I think the thing that you have to consider first and foremost is, well, where do you find, you know, a spot for him? Um, you know, where do you put him in the lineup? And it just seems that he... He appears to be most apt as your kind of attacking midfielder, and you know we all know that you know their biggest attacking midfielder on the on the team right now is Lee Wynn. So I'm having to think that if they if that link is legitimate, um, and there is serious interest in bringing him in, then you have to think that you know all the you know it just it's just another sign that Lee Wynn is probably on his way out. But um, it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, development in terms of you know who they're looking at to bolster their roster. Um, you know, the only concern that there that there may be is that you know the Reds don't have the greatest track record with bringing in guys wherever they're coming in from, um, younger guys, you know, like early twenties, and you know, really having having their development continue to rise. So, um, you know, if it's for one year, then so be it. But if it's if this is a long term investment, um, you know, where he stays for multiple years, if he does come here, then you have to really consider. Okay, does is the structure, coaching structure, is a technical structure. I mean, is there a, pl- uh, a place for him? Is this the right place for him to really develop and reach his full potential in his early 20s? Yeah, and I agree. I think this if you were to bring him in, you'd have more interest in him as a long-term prospect. Uh, I'm not sure where he fits into the team in the lineup um, as is, you know, at his current state of development. Um, I use the most technological uh, advanced scouting report possible, which is FIFA ratings. And uh, Luca Delatore's FIFA rating is 56. And so he's really kind of a Zach Haravo level. I think Zach Haravo in 17 was 58. So just as a comparison, he's not really going to be a, a big boost to a starting lineup. He might be a depth piece that comes off and, and maybe provides you a spark in the later minutes. But um, if this is a one-year loan, I really am not sure why the Revs would do it. And I do question whether or not uh, you want, you know, as a United States fan, if you want this player, a young player, um, training with MLS and as opposed to uh, training in, you know, with Fulham where he's made great strides in recent years. 
the one thought I had on this is when we talk about you know, Brad Friedel's style and wanting to play a really high pace and needing guys to be super physically fit and the, the whole emphasis that was on that in the offseason and just the dichotomy of, of a Lee Wynn who's you know 31 getting getting older and perhaps not the you know most athletic guy on the team and you know De La Torre who would be coming in and perhaps playing the same role and I, it's, it's asking a lot to ask him to you know play even half of you know what Lee Wynn has done for this team in the past but uh, a guy that's gone through Fulham FC system which you know if you watch the the English Championship and, and see those teams, those are some of the, the most fit players out there. Um, I do wonder if that plays into it a little bit. And it's also interesting to note that you know the Revolution did sell Clint Dempsey to to Fulham back in the day, and um, you wonder if there's in any way whatsoever any connection that's kept up between those two clubs since then that that could lead to to some move like this. I don't know, Brian. Do you think that that could be potentially a factor here that the Revs have that relationship with Fulham from from all those years ago, or am I stretching it too much? I, I don't know. It's it's hard to really say. Um, you know, when, I wouldn't put it. I wouldn't put it past the refs to maybe have that kind of machination in place. Um, I think it might be if 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 I'd guess of anything, it would probably be Friedel. You know, maybe using his you know English Premier League connections and saying, oh, by the way, there just happens to be there just happens to be this U uh, twenty player at the national team level that could possibly you know make make, uh, make a contribution to the team. I think it might be a more of a of a fatal connection more than anything else. If I if I had to guess, yeah, no, I, I'm confu- confused by this move and the and just the senses as we discussed that if it was a one year alone, you know, this is a young guy and coming into a very crowded midfield. And as Brian said, the Revs don't have a good track record of, of raising uh, young players' talent levels over the years. Maybe that changes with Friedel and a new coaching staff. I, of course, you know they they deserve the right to, to to be seen out and see how they do that because a different coaching staff could make a world of difference, but. Uh, it's, it's just an interesting move that doesn't really fit with what the Revolution have done in the past. Um, and, and the other move that we've heard is also, that we've heard mentioned this week, is also related to the, to the midfield. Um, and that's Gershon Kofi is apparently um, strongly linked to come back to MLS. I think it was actually the, the sporting director at his current club that said that was going to happen. Um, and at first when we heard that, I think we all assumed it would be to the Revolution. But now um, the news out there is is that MLSsoccer.com reported that sources say it actually wouldn't be to the Revs. Um, however, the Revs do have his MLS rights. Um, so that's a bit of interesting news. And I do wonder if we look, you know, last week we talked about Casado being the guy that the Revolution signed who plays, you know, the same role as Kofi, the same role as Zahibo and, and, and Caldwell. Um, if this if this news maybe came a week or two too late to, to actually help the Revs since they already made that move to, to go out and get a defensive midfielder. Uh, Greg, what were your thoughts on, on the news on Kofi and, and you know, even, even more so the news that the Revs were not looking to, to be the team to sign him? Yeah, I'm not totally surprised. Kofi never seemed to have fit in in Sweden, um, he seemed to have never really been in their plans, and you can kind of tell from him coming back on loan last season that, you know, when he, he had signed over there, he didn't really get off on the right foot. So um, I think the news came as a, kind of a surprise, him trying to come back to the MLS. I don't think he fits in with the Revolution's plans anymore, especially with the uh, changeover from Heaps to Brad Friedel. So, um, no, I, I think... It's kind of a shame. Uh, I mean, I, I like Kofi, but I don't think he has a role on this team anymore. And uh, I know the Revolution still own his rights, so they'll be able to uh, gain something back in the form of allocation money or maybe a draft pick. But I'm sure some team will take a chance on him to, to fill a hole. He, he is a suitable defensive midfielder, and uh, but I, I don't think it's with New England. And I think you made a great point. I mean, he is a suitable – I think, like you said, Greg, he is a suitable player. Um, and, you, and I guess I'm just wondering, you know, what what can you really get for a guy for a guy like him who, you know, he's he's a borderline starter, um, definitely certainly a good depth piece for any MLS team. 
Um, but you know, really, what what are you going to really get? What would the Revs really get um, in ter- for his rights? Um, and I guess I guess the thing I guess I, I would have to think is maybe maybe some maybe a draft pick, uh, you know, a later round draft pick or what have you, um, or maybe an international spot a slot I should say. So um, you know, I'm, it's hard. I'm hard pressed to think that they that you know if they do uh, deals rights, which it looks very much like likely it it will be considering that Casado addition really kind of cancels out any kind of need for Kofi. Um, it's, it'll be interesting to see what, what they can really get as far as value, um, unless they package him with perhaps, and I don't want to start any speculation, but maybe they package him with another player, perhaps maybe Lee Wynn, uh, just to get as much as they can out of, uh, out, of a, out of a potential deal that makes it bigger. So, um, yeah, I think he, he certainly suits the Rev style best, but you know, with so much talent already in the midfield, uh, you know, it's kind of like a day late dollar short. Um, especially with the addition of Casado. Yeah, and I, talking about what you could get for him, Brian, I went back and I kind of looked for recent trades that might be comparable, and the only thing I found even remotely comparable to a team trading the rights to a player that went internationally and came back was the Perry Kitchen trade from January. Um, and for that, they DC got 100000 in general allocation money and 200000 in targeted allocation money. So Kofi's going to get way less than what Perry Kitchen got, I would assume. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're going to be getting a second, third round draft pick, which is really not does not hold a lot of value. Yeah. The other point I'd make here is I just wonder if you know, down the road this comes back to bite the revolution when you have such unknowns in that position with, again, Zahibo, who I don't think any of us are, are quite sold on yet, and, and Casado, who we haven't seen at all yet. Um, you know, at, at, Right now, there's there's just too many pieces there, but you know, Kofi was a proven MLS starter that did well for this team. Not, you know, not a world beater by any stretch, but a guy that you, know, you, know, you could count on day in and day out when you know, he was healthy to, to play a key role on this team. And I, I don't know if we know that they have that from either Zahibo or, or Casado yet. Um, and, and that'll be something to watch as, as the season goes on if, if it ends up meaning that they could have used a guy like this because you know, right now, again, numbers are too big, but there's, there's not much proven talent in that role in the revolution right now. And the next move related to the Revs is one that's maybe not as exciting or, or headline-catching, and that's Mark Segber's the, the draft pick of the revolution, first-round pick, ninth, ninth overall pick, being loaned to Orange County SC. Um, it doesn't surprise me at all to see him on loan this season. I think as we, we saw this this year that his minutes were going to be limited. The Revolution drafted two guys to essentially who essentially would were expected to play right back and, and Segber seems to be the one that um, isn't going to get get a shot this year. Uh, that played out pretty quickly, but it, it makes sense to me to, to loan a guy like him who's you know either second or, or third or on the depth chart at, at best um, and at this stage of his career to get more minutes for for a team like Orange County SC. Um, so that doesn't surprise me with him being behind Brandon Bay and, and Andrew Farrell. Uh, but it's, it's interesting that Orange County SC is the team that he's go- going to as the Revolution have the ability to recall him at any time and could call him up for Open Cup games. And it's just not a very uh, convenient location for a player to be traveling across country if that is going to be um, the intent. Uh, Greg, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, I know you've covered covered the Rhinos a lot in the past where the Revs used to be um, using as their affiliate to, to loan these guys and that you know, obviously the Rhino's not there this season and that affiliation is completely gone. Um, so what do you think about this loan? Well, I, I think it's uh, great to send your players that you're not going to 
ha- have much game time. It's good to send them to the U.S. all to see how they can perform in a game situation. I know in the past we've talked about, you know, privately off the podcast, but we've talked about uh, Brian Wright going to play USL. I know uh, Zach Haribo has gone and played at San Antonio, I think. Um, I think it gives these younger players a good chance to uh, get some game experience, get them a look. I know Matt Turner played at Richmond. That's a good example where he got some game time in. Uh, and, you know, I think he credited that that. Uh, experience he, when he was on the Far Post podcast, he was talking about that experience at playing at Cincinnati and playing in front of twenty thousand fans. And he said that experience helped him uh, when he got the call to start in Philadelphia for his MLS debut. So uh, I, I think it's great that I, I wish the Revs would loan uh, their supplemental roster, their players they're trying to develop to um, uh, USL sides more. Uh, in terms of Orange County, too, I, I did some digging. And uh, I noticed that Orange County Soccer Club, the interesting thing about them is they're actually LAFC's affiliate. Um, and apparently they have some holes in their roster because not only did they uh, uh, take Mark Segbers, but they also took Alex Crignali from Columbus Crew. Uh, and they also took Andre Rawls from New York City FC, who's been their third string keeper for a while. So, um, And all of those were season-long loans with options to recall. So it looks like Orange City has been making the phone calls to MLS teams, seeing if there's any players available. And New England was just one of the ones that picked up the phone and, and sent someone there. So uh, it can only be beneficial in my mind. I mean, it's certainly beneficial, but is it the uh, is it the optimal way of developing players? I think that's another question we have to ask. And I think that you know Matt Turner is kind of the exception as far as, and even that's really as far as you know what you get back when you loan guys out to you know for short term and long term loans without there really being a USL, you know, a straight USL affiliate. Um, for every you know Matt Turner there has been, there's been. You know, there's there's been the Zachary Aravo who we still don't know a lot about, and he's been loaned out uh, to San Antonio FC. Um, you know, we saw Jordan McCrary being loaned out to both Richmond and Rochester, and then you saw guys like Donnie Smith also being re- 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 uh, re- routinely loaned out to uh, Rochester, and just it never really it didn't help them enough in their development where they were ever became contributors to the uh, to the to, to the first team. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I mean, certainly it'll help him um, because, you know, playing time helps everyone, but it's just, it's really not the best way of developing players in my mind. And, you know, I think that when you have guys like this, the the optimal, um, you know, situation is that not only do you have an affiliate, but take it one step further and have an affiliate where you have some of the, where there is, uh, you know, some of the coaching staff from the revolution on that coaching staff at the USL development, uh, the developmental team. And so that there's a kind of a communicate, uh, ongoing communication as far as, you know, what the expectation is, what the development plan is for some of these guys and, um, and how they can benefit, not just this year, but, you know, going forward, especially when you have a team like the revolution who, you know, this year with Frida on board, you know, it wants to kind of play the high tempo, high pace kind of, kind of, uh, you know, kind of system, and you really want, you really ideally want to send guys who, you know, are you're going to develop um, to teams that play like that. And obviously, the best way of doing that is to develop your own team, so that there's commonality in between, you know, what you're doing at the first team level and what you're doing, uh, you know, at the you know USL level. So I'm sure it'll help. It'll help Mark Segers, but um, long term, it's still kind of concerning that you know the Revs are kind of one of the only teams that don't have uh, a full-on USL uh, development uh, affiliate. 
Yeah, and one other interesting note about Orange County SC is their head coach is Braden Cloutier, the former Revolution defender slash midfielder who played for the team in, in 2001 and 2002. Uh, but Brian, you make an excellent point about the Revolution's you know lack of an affiliate compared to just about every other team in the league. And and one thing we have heard you know some murmurings of over you know recent months is that Hartford could get a USL team. Do you think that would be something that would make a, a decent impact on the Revolution and their ability just to develop players to have a team that's actually in New England that, you know, theoretically you could have train with you, you know, on weekdays and send down there to play on a weekend if, if the situation was right? I think so. I think it would definitely, I mean, geographically, obviously, yes, because that way you can kind of shuttle guys to and from where you do have guys, you know, training during the weekdays and then maybe possibly, you know, playing weekends with, with the USL affiliate down in, down at Hartford. Uh, but I also think that there still needs to be some sort of kind of, uh, you need to have at least maybe one or two coaches on the Hartford staff that are also revolution, that are also on the revolution staff. So then that way you do have, you know, you do have, uh, you know, the ideas that are present at the first team level also present on at game day, um, you know, at the USL level. Yeah, and I agree with Brian. Uh, I think one of the reasons why the Rhinos affiliation fell apart was because it was so far away. Um, I know Brian Biello has has gone on the record of saying that it was a major issue to uh, have a player's you know, a long distance way, not being able to train with the team. Uh, if you had an affiliate in Hartford, uh, you'd have the benefit of practicing with them and getting them to uh, learn a system and then go play, get actual game time in Hartford. So, uh, yeah, I think a Hartford USL affiliate would be uh, absolutely very, very beneficial for the revolution. Yeah, I, I, I'm in complete agreement that they need a closer team to be their affiliate. Uh, it, you know, it's, it, as we discussed, it's great to have guys get minutes, but it's much better to have guys get minutes when they're you know close by. Um, and, and if you could have some sort of you know coaching, coaching similarities or some sort of coaching coaching staff that's shared, that would help out a lot as well. Uh, I, I don't expect the Revolution to ever have a true New England Revolution two team like we've seen some MLS teams have, and we've seen some MLS teams recently get away from that model just because it's it's hard to have those teams be successful financially. And I don't think that's necessarily the, the goal of, of those teams is to be successful financially. But um, as more and more MLS teams pull away from that rather than go to it, um, I, I don't think we're ever going to see the revs do that. But just having somebody local with, with some shared staff would be huge. Uh, the last player personnel note I wanted to mention is Christian Namath getting called up to Hungary. Um, not too much to say there other than he will miss the Revolutions game against New York City FC. Uh, my, my one question here is we talked about last week how it was a, a nice you know 20 minutes for him in, in that game against the Rapids perhaps to showcase him being traded. Um, you know, what does it do for his trade value if he gets some, some minutes for Hungary and, and, and shows well there? I think that could be you know a, a good thing for the Revolution if they're still looking to trade him. Yeah, I think if anything, I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure the Revs are, are happy about it because not only... Do they not have to kind of like advertise him for the sole purposes of you know you know shopping him? But um, you know if he has a good showing with with the Hungarian national team, obviously that that would do wonders for his value. That would have to do wonders for his value um, on the uh, MLS open market. Yeah, and I agree. Uh, I think not only for um, the not only trade value wise, but I think a good showing might get him in uh, Brad Fiedel's good graces too. He's still in the rotation. We can argue whether or not he's still in the rotation to boost his trade value or not, but he's still in the rotation with the revolution. So he's clearly not that far down on the depth chart. Um, I think if he puts up a good performance, uh, that might catch Brad Friedel's eye. 
Yeah, and I, and I want to jump into that New York City FC game because we you know we talked about the Revolution's first two performances in the past two shows. Those games were against a Philadelphia Union team and a Colorado Rapids team that you know I don't think anyone considers them um, in the conversation to be contenders for MLS this year. Um, but that certainly is very different when it comes to New York City FC, who's off to a fantastic start this year with nine points through three games. Uh, you, you talk about addition through subtraction. They lost a guy in, in Andrea Pirlo, who I think we all saw last year was you know, near near the end of it and his his age had certainly caught up to him where you know his pace and, and inability to keep up with with other players was making him a huge defensive liability d- despite um his incredible passing attributes uh, and and that has allowed them to go out there and make some new signings this year that i i think has really improved the team they've gotten a lot younger uh, they still had david via who's you know a very capable goal scorer uh, and and they've just been very dominant so far with you know just one goal conceded through three matches six goals scored uh winning all three uh, early contender for mls cup potentially um Brian, what's your thoughts on New York City FC and what kind of a threat they pose to the Revolution this weekend? I think they're they're a huge threat. Um, I think they're going to be a team that will really, you know, could really, you know, really kind of showcase how, you know, how much, you know, maybe how far Brad Friedel has to go in terms of making the Revs contender because, you know, say what you will about Toronto and their kind of slow start, but um, I think I think New York City FC is really kind of early out early on so far i mean they're really kind of you know showing that they they're they're a proven legitimate contender and um i think that you know yesterday's win over over orlando kind of like just went went one step further to show that how how good they are this year um you know dave david via is just i i'm so still impressed he can still do it at his age and with him kind of like leading the charge still being able to lead, lead the charge and having you know the pieces around him to really, you know, come out to such a flying start. Um, you know, this could be a kind of a humbling, a humbling uh, game for the Revs if they, if they don't have everything going. If they if they're not, you know, focused for all for all ninety minutes. Yeah, New York has been quite the success story with what they've been able to do. I, what they just joined the league, I believe, and it was 2015 their first season. And yeah. the way they've, you know, we can talk about their stadium situation, which is is far from ideal. But what they've been doing on the field has been nothing short of, of impressive. Um, I think this is going to be a, a huge, huge test for the Revolution to go out there against this team. You know, the, the first really good team they played this season, and, and like you said, Brad Friedel's going to have his work cut out with cut out for him. Uh, I, I just don't know how they're going to to come away from from this game with with a win and. You you know, we should mention it is a home game for the Revolution, their second of the season. Um, but this is going to be a really difficult one. Uh, do, do we have predictions for for scores and for result on this one? Start with you, Greg. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to end very well for the Revolution. I think NYCFC is just on a whole other level. So uh, I'll go three to one NYCFC. I'm going to go. I'm going to go two nothing because I think that the win will still play a factor. Um, I, I don't know. I, I have really. Tr- hard time seeing the revolution coming out of this one with with anything other than a loss just new york city fc team i think is legit this year um and and looking at this game i think i think maybe it'll be a bit closer i'll go with a 2-1 loss but this is going to be quite the test for the revolution and i'm personally excited to see new york city fc in person and and what they can do um my last question here on, on this game is is new york city fc actually the the favorite for the mls cup this year with what we've seen from from toronto uh and from the other potential contenders we talked about in in the past what do you think brian I'm going to say yes, but with a caveat that I still think it's still really early on Toronto. I think, you know, I think we've all seen, you know, early starts, you know, early strong starts kind of really, you know, kind of peter out towards towards the middle, towards the end of the season. So I think I think it's almost impossible, you know, if not futile to kind of predict, you know, who's who, you know, 
who's going to who's going to be a top contender based on early form. But I really am. I have been really, really impressed by what I've seen from New York City FC. I do think that Toronto will eventually fix it and find a way to uh, to get themselves in playoffs and probably go on another another deep run. But um, I mean, at this point, if we're looking at just record wise and how teams have looked in MLS play so far, I've you know I've really got to go with uh, New York City FC. Uh, I'm still holding my prediction of TFC. Uh, I, I think it's two MLS games into the season. Uh, I don't want to rule them out, just as Brian said. Um, I know it's been off to a bit of a, a shaky start, but they've also been dealing with the Champions League. Um, and, and the great thing about the MLS is, uh, you know, top six teams make the playoffs. And so Toronto's making the playoffs. I, I don't think that's in dispute. Hopefully, I mean, I, I assume not. Uh, so, and they're going to be a very, very tough team to beat when it comes down to uh, the important games later on in the year. So, uh, I'm still not putting anything past TFC, but um, New York certainly has gotten off to as good a start as you could ask for. Yeah, I think New York City FC has to be in that conversation now as the you know the top team in the league. Um, and and I do want to talk about Toronto a bit more when we get to Champions League, but I I have trouble looking past them now as a, as a favorite. I do want to point out before we move on though that New York City FC is without three guys this weekend against the Revolution. I'm not sure how big of an impact that will play, uh, but Rodney Wall- Wallace, Ronald Matarita are both called up to Costa Rica, and Alexander Ring was called up for for Finland. So the Revolution are missing Christian Namath to to Hungary, and New York City FC are missing those three guys. Uh, but I, I, I still again hard to look past New York City FC even with those those three absences. Um, but you mentioned Toronto, and I did want to briefly give a shout out to the the three teams, um, three MLS teams that were still in the Concacaf Ch- Champions League as of last week. Seattle fell short in their second round, uh, but Toronto and, and Red Bull New York, Red Bull New York in particular, was phenomenal over two legs. I believe they ended up winning that one five to one in aggregate, just fan- or five to two in aggregate, just a fantastic performance from them. Um, and, and something that we almost never see from an MLS team to, to go away to uh, Mexico, get a win, and then come back and get another one at home, and just completely dominate those two legs. Um, Toronto FC had a bit more of a difficult time where they had to win on away goals, um, but still very impressive to, to be at a team like Tigres in, in advance to the CONCACAF Champions League. And now we have two Mexican versus MLS uh, Champions League semifinals. Um, you know, my question is, do these results show that MLS is, is improving um, or is it just a, a fluke at this point? I don't know if it's a fluke. I think it, I mean, I, I really, I'm, I'm of the belief that you really have, I think they have to win it in order to show that it's not so much not a fluke, but that they are, that they're making the next step. Um, you know, we saw, we saw in the past, we saw, you know, Salt Lake get to the final um, and we've seen, uh, and we've seen, uh, you know, Montreal get to the final and it's just, you know, y- they have to make the next step. I mean, it, it could very well come down to, you know, after these semifinals that it's, you know, uh, Guadalajara versus America and, you know, here we are again, and we're talking about, uh, you know, the you know MLS, uh, an MLS club can't can't win, can't uh, take it over the top. So, um, I don't think it's so much a fluke. I think it's good that you have two, they have two MLS sides in the court in the semifinals. But um, I I think in order to make the statement that you know MLS has quote unquote arrived at the the at the uh, you know at the international level, so to speak. Um, they, you really have to come away, you know, I, whether it's going to be the Red Bulls or whether it's going to be TFC, one of those teams really has to come away and they have to win it to, in order to show that MLS is, uh, you know, is, is at least getting closer, um, 
on, on par with uh, with Mexican clubs. Have we ever seen a team as good as Toronto FC from MLS in this tournament? I, I mean, ignoring their recent results, uh, on paper, it looks to me like they're the best team uh, America, or, well, Canada in this case, MLS certainly <laughs> has ever has ever produced and put into the Champions League. I would say, yeah, I would say that they're probably the most formidable for sure. Um, and they've certainly looked at it during the tournament. Um, you know, I think Montreal was so much of a fluke a few years ago that you're just, they were kind of like the, the Cinderella story where they were like, yeah, they really don't stand a chance, but wouldn't it be cool to see them win it all? Um, but I think that that's certainly that element, that kind of like sense certainly isn't there with TFC. I think TFC, like you mentioned, Sean, is kind of a, a, a much more well, well built roster and team than the, uh, than the Montreal team that almost that, that went to the final a couple of years ago. So, um, yeah, I think if anyone has a good chance of doing it, I think it's them. So next up on the, the list of items that we wanted to get to today was Sharu Joseph, of course, the Revolution captain for, for so many years during the, the successful seasons of the 2000s when you know, the team went to so many MLS Cups. Uh, just picked up a coaching job now as the head coach of the Granada national team. Uh, Granada, obviously not the, the best nation in the world, but that's where Sharu Joseph grew up and, and played for and was you know their, their player of the year multiple times. Um, so that it's interesting to see another Revolution player enter the the coaching ranks. Uh, Brian, you and I both, you know, talked to Shar Joseph many years, many times over the years. How do you think he'll do in a situation like this, where he's coaching such a, you know, a national team that's lacking in talent? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I really have no idea. <laughs> I think you know we you know we saw him as a player, and he was a uh, he certainly has that leadership. So you know, it's great to see a player like him. Um, get the opportunity to do it, but really, I have no idea. I think um, I think he certainly has the qualities. Uh, I think he has the leadership qualities. He certainly, you know, during the teams that he that he with the Revolution teams that he was on for so many years, you know, certainly commanded a lot of respect from his from his uh, fellow teammates. So obviously, that's that's the first and fourth thing, first and foremost thing you need to have um, in order to be a good in order to be a good coach is have the respect of the of the players in your own locker room. And certainly, Shari commanded that during his time in New England. Um, but obviously, like you said, like, you know, you're, he's not taking over, you know, uh, a top 50 or top 25, uh, international team. He's taking over Granada and you, I, I, obviously a country that really hasn't had much success or many result, many positive results over the years. Um, it is very interesting to see what, what kind of influence he has in terms of how many, you know, how much more success, success they get out of, they got, get out of him at the helm. So, um, you know, I think it also kind of begs the question as to whether or not, you know, maybe a good showing like that maybe opens up something, uh, maybe opens up something for him in MLS, perhaps starting off as an assistant coach, and then who knows from there. Um, you know, I was one of the people that I was one of those who thought that maybe he deserved a, you know, a look at possibly an assistant coaching job with the Revs, uh, considering considering his ties, considering the amount of respect he had in that locker room. Um, you know, when the Revs went through uh, went through their you know, revamp their coaching staff during the off season. So I'm, I know I'll be paying attention to see how he does. And uh, I certainly hope that it leads to uh, that. If he gets success, it leads to more opportunities in MLS, uh, preferably in new England. Yeah. I, I agree with a lot of what Brian said and uh, talking about commanding the respect of, uh, you know, his other, uh, other players. Um, I remember when the revolution job came up last year um, after heaps was replaced, uh, a potential name that was thrown out there was Shalry Joseph. So uh, obviously people think very high of him and his leadership skills. Um, I don't think the results will be very favorable 
Um, I did not find any odds on Granada to win the 2022 World Cup, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I really wanted to find some just to see if they had gone up or down. But, um, no, I, I think it'll be a, a tough uh, job for him starting out. It's a two-year contract. Uh, I wonder if uh, he wants to parlay this into a long tenure there or if he's trying to um, use this as a stepping stone in coaching and if he wants to end up coaching in the MLS or somewhere else someday. Um, I, I I can't imagine he wants to be in th- with that role very long if he has other options elsewhere. We'll ha- he, he will have more success. And, and I remember, what was it, 10 years ago now or more than that, I think, actually, where the where the U.S. played Granada in a two-leg World Cup qualifier and just hearing the announcers talking about that Granadian team and how most of those players, you know, soccer is not their full-time job. They're, you know, on the, on, in the day working on the docks and it's just a, a part-time thing for them. And you just wonder for a guy like Shari Joseph, when you take on a role like this, what would you actually have to do to, you know, to come out of that with, with more credit as a coach? Um, then, you know, what, what actually qualifies as a success in, in a role like that? Because I don't think even in your wildest dreams, you can picture a team like Granada, you know, even in a conference like CONCACAF and even with the, the World Cup eventually expanding to, to more teams being in that conversation. So I, I just wonder what, you know, as head coach of Granada, you would have to do to actually you know, earn the credit um, that you'd want to, to move on to, to being a coach somewhere else. And, and like Brian said, Charo Joseph struck me as a guy that you know, could have made sense as a revolution assistant coach. Um, but uh, you know, I don't know if there was ever even t- conversation about that actually happening. Uh, but it, I just I struggle to see you know, what he can do in this job and, and the situation that he's given that could actually put him over the top. Uh, but, but like Brian said, I'm curious to, to, to keep watching him there. He was a guy that had such a huge impact on the revolution that you know, you'd love to see involved in the club and somehow going forward. Um, but it's, it, it is great to see him going back and, and coaching his home nation. I'm just curious to see how, how that plays out. And I think we'll all be interested in, in watching Granada going forward with, with him at the helm. Brian, do, do we know if Shara Joseph ever actually officially retired from playing? I, I didn't get an announcement. I don't know about anyone else, but I didn't get an announcement. But um, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Play a coach. Never yeah, maybe, maybe we'll see him lace up the boots for Granada one of these games. I, I certainly wouldn't be disappointed to see that. Me neither. <laughs> Speaking of the the World Cup, there was some other other interesting news that came out this week, and that was the the revised list and, and finalists, I believe, for the North American 2026 World Cup bid. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I have a little bit of trouble getting too excited for the 2026 World Cup being here. You know, even even with the excitement of potentially having in Foxborough because they were on the list, uh, g- given that the U.S. is in this upcoming World Cup. Um, so I'm I'm struggling to get too excited for this news, but it is nice to see Foxborough on the list. Um, and also interesting to see the, the names that were pulled out of it, which was both Chicago, um, among others, in Vancouver, two of the, the top three cities in the U.S. for Chicago and top three cities in, in Canada, uh, in the case of Vancouver, pull out because of you know financial questions. Um, there was a, an article that came out that it said uh, FIFA wants host cities to be 100% on the hook for any security incidents that happens. And it, it, it just strikes me as that being something that... Um, probably played a huge role in Chicago and Vancouver pulling out and uh, has to leave you know, officials in Foxborough or whoever is going to be on the hook for this uh, questioning, questioning what, you know, what's going on with uh, such potential liability going forward. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously it's great for the area. Um, you know, they, they get the opportunity to get to host the world cup after they, you know, hosted it in 94 was, was, was obviously awesome. And it was something that um, I think kind of is a credit to what they were able to do in the past. And obviously also credit to, you know, having, you know, Bob Kraft involved and, you know, kind of like wielding his influence on, on that decision, decision to have them on the list. 
Um, I am kind of surprised to see that, you know, I was surprised to see that um, Chicago was kind of taken off the list, off the pre- preliminary list, um, because you would think that that's, that's an automatic, that's an automatic uh, kind of um, location to host a World, to host a world Cup game. So, um, you know, all the more credit to, to, to you know, uh, you know, Robert Kraft being able to keep, keep, uh, keep uh, Foxborough on that list and, uh, you know, if they were able to get it, and if you know that that the joint bid does does succeed, and they do get the 2026 World Cup, um, it'll be awesome to see some uh, some World Cup action in Foxborough. And uh, you know, who knows? Maybe <laughs> maybe they keep the uh, maybe they keep the grass on the field for the entire summer. <laughs> well, let's not get ahead of ourselves, Brad. <laughs> Jeez, man. <laughs> uh, I, I think. Uh, if they bring the World Cup to, to North America, I think Bob Kraft is going to... It, it would be very hard for him to say no. I know the list of demands from FIFA were kind of ridiculous, and I'm sure some cities will be knocked off the list. Um, but I think there are some owners uh, that will want to bring the World Cup to their city, and I think Bob Kraft is one of them. I think he's just a very big thinker, and he knows that would be a uh, huge attraction for the area. So uh, I'm not surprised that some cities are dropping out, and I'm not surprised that Foxborough is still on that list. And the only competition for the United States for this is Morocco. There's been some murmurings, you know, the past several months that Morocco actually has a chance at, at winning this thing. Um, I, I know it's hard to to handicap how FIFA will vote without how corrupt it's been over the years. But are, are we concerned that Morocco might actually beat the U.S. particularly particularly with what happened in the in the 2022 World Cup with with Qatar beating the U.S. against all odds? I'll say, I mean, <laughs> I would say definitely yes because after what happened with with Qatar because. After that, you just you just never know, and I mean, we all know the level of corruption that 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 has taken place in FIFA, and you don't know how much of that how much of that kind of like dark element is still present within the within the uh, within you know within the body. So um, it wouldn't surprise me. Would I be shocked? Absolutely not. Would I be surprised? Yeah, probably would be. Um, just a little bit, just because. To me, I mean, maybe it's just maybe it's just the uh, the 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 American sports fan in me, but I still think that. You know, at a moment's notice, that the U.S. can can host any any worldwide tournament at a moment's notice. Just we just have the infrastructure. We just have, uh, you know, the planning. The the not only the infrastructure, but we also have the amount of people within within all sports to to be able to pull it off. Yeah, and I agree with Brian. It's hard not to get a little nervous uh, once you lose a World Cup to Qatar. I mean, what's to stop you from losing a World Cup to Morocco? So um, it's hard to to. You can't imagine them losing this bid because there's been so much hype around it, and it seemed like it was such a slam dunk. But um, you know, the more murmurs you have about Morocco, the more it's probably true. So uh, I'm a little pessimistic as well. Yeah, it's it's hard to ever be too confident in you know, despite on paper how how much advantage the U.S. should have over a country like Morocco and the U.S. Canada and Mexico should have over a country like Morocco when it comes to you know, infrastructure and having the stadiums in place and and all of those factors that you know could should play a key role in the in the bid. FIFA is just too unpredictable to ever be confident in something like this. Uh, the, the last topic I wanted to touch on before I wrapped up also relates to U.S. soccer and the U.S. men's national team, and that's the the roster that was announced on Sunday. Uh, Dave Sarakin with 22 men call it up to North Carolina in advance of a friendly against Paraguay. Uh, notably from a, a, a Revs perspective, no Revolution players on this. I think the only guy that um, 
you would have thought could have, could have had a shot is Kellen Rowe. Uh, but it's interesting of the 22 players, 17 are age 24 under. Uh, a product, I think, of the U.S. not making the World Cup is that they have the opportunity to, to, to try out a lot of young guys. Uh, is there any surprise that we didn't see a guy like uh, like Kellen Rowe on there? And also interesting to see Alex Bono, the Toronto FC goalkeeper, get his first call up. Um, and, and certainly Cody Cropper wasn't helped by not playing for the Revolution over these these past two games. Uh, any any disappointment or surprise that we don't see any Rose players on this list? I'm not really surprised at all. Uh, I don't think Kellen Rowe has played uh, particularly well to start the season. Um, I think he was, would have been your best chance um, considering how well he played at the Gold Cup last year. Um, but I, I think he's kind of taken a step back with the Revs. And I also think, too, that there's a lot of names on this uh, roster that um, – they kind of want to. There are some newer players coming in, and so uh, I think Rowe is just taking a backseat for the time being. And yeah, Cody Cropper, I think he's kind of uh, out of the U.S. men's national team picture for now, um, especially since uh, two of the three goalkeepers called up were our f- fellow keepers in MLS. And then there's also Bill Hamid, who uh, isn't exactly at the top of the depth chart. So I'd imagine Cody Cropper is, is slidden down, uh, kind of out of out of U.S. Uh, men's national position um i will say really upset that matt turner did not get the call though really upset about that so <laughs> I, I think more than anything i think this is very much given given the amount of uh amount of youth on this on the squad this is also very much a very to me it's a kind of a fact-finding kind of uh you know call-up scenario in which you know you guys you're ha- you see guys on on the uh you know under 20 team like tim wea you see, you know, Rubio Rubin and, um, you know, guys like Marky Delgado has never been called up. I think this is very much, okay, you know, the, the program's kind of gotten, the coaching staff has kind of gotten a look at, you know, what Callum Rowe can bring, what Juan Agadal can obviously bring. Uh, he's been in the pool for a very long time. Um, so there's really kind of no, no urgency to bring them in because you kind of know what you're going to get from them. And I think this is more so a situation where you're trying to find out, okay, well, who are the guys at the, you know, U20 level that we kind of need to see uh, give maybe a, another a longer look to at the uh, full national team level, and when you see guys like Shaq Moore and you see guys like Eric Palmer Brown, whom you know is somebody that I know a lot of U.S. soccer fans are kind of you know optimistic at, at you know his future, um, and see guys like Anthony Robinson, another guy who you know has kind of started at the U20 level to see what they can do at the full national team level. I think this is more this is more for those kinds of guys, guys that you know have kind of like proven themselves. Um, at the uh, youth levels and seeing what they can do at the uh, at the at the full senior team level, and I think this is not really the kind of camp that really you know behooves um, Dave Sarakin to take guys like your Cody Cropper, like Juan Agdell or Kellen Rowe. And frankly, I think this roster is one that actually, you know, given that the U.S. is is not in the World Cup this year, is one that excites me to see because these are all guys that are young enough to potentially play uh, in the 2022 World Cup when hopefully the U.S. makes it again. Um, so I, I'm glad to see that they went this route of bringing in a bunch of young guys that haven't really seen much time. Um, there's a few, you know, when <laughs> you talk about like an elder statesman like a DeAndre Yellen, who I think is still something like 25, uh, but already has 49 caps. It's, it's just such a young roster um, and, and one that I'm excited to see. Which uh, I did want to wrap things up with, again, pointing out that the Revolution game this weekend is, is a home match against New York City FC, who, you know, as we discussed, are top of the league right now. That game is at 1.30 p.m., um, I believe it's back on NBC Sports Boston. The last game uh, was on TV 38 due to a conflict. Uh, and at Gillette Stadium as well. Should be an interesting and cold one. Thanks again for listening to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, joined by Brian O'Connell and, and Greg Johnstone. We'll see you again next week.